Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. This is not the biggest trade of all time. I mean, no doubt, an enormous trade. But if you're trying to call it the biggest trade ever, go back, look up the Herschel Walker deal. Nothing is bigger than that. But it's still a major, major trade. Anytime you've got a Hall of Fame quarterback moving from one team to another, it's a major move. Anytime you have one team saying, we're going to make a run at a ring, and the other saying, we're just going to blow this damn thing up, it's a major move. And I'll say it again, I've been saying it for months. Either you have a quarterback or you don't. And if you don't, you better get one. Because without a quarterback, a legitimate quarterback, nothing else in that league matters. Nothing. And nobody has proven my point more so than the Denver Broncos just did. They've got a talented defense. They've got weapons in the backfield and a wide receiver. They're not bad up front. Yet they've gone five years without a winning record, and they still have not made the postseason since the Duck Slinger retired. So what have they gone with since then? Brock Osweiler, Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler again, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, Drew Locke. Brandon Allen, Jeff Driscoll, Brett Rippin, that wide receiver, Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke again. Since Manning retired, they have tied for the most quarterbacks in the league, and every last one of them has been terrible. So they had to make this move for Russ Wilson. They had to. Now, I don't know how much of a chance they ever actually had with Aaron Rodgers, but if they were not going to get him, they had to make the move for Russell Wilson. And I don't care what they had to give up to get this guy. They had to do it. I mean, not look hard at it, not try your very best to make something happen only to fall short. They had to close the deal. They had to execute it. They had to get it done. And no price was too big. Ask the Rams how allegedly overpaying for a quarterback worked out for them. Drew Locke, Noah Fant, Shelby Harris, couple of firsts, couple of seconds, and a fifth for Wilson and a fourth-round pick. Hell yes, you make that deal. You have to make that deal. Oh, and spare a thought for Fant, who probably saw the tweets about Russell Wilson going to Denver and got all hyped up. This guy had to be like, Hell yes. Hell yes. After years of playing with crappy quarterbacks like Drew Locke, I am finally going to play with a real dude. Only to find out he is going to Seattle with a crappy quarterback like Drew Locke. Man, what a kick in the package for Fant. Man, what a huge swing for Denver. Because Denver, to me is in fact a quarterback away. And Wilson can still be that quarterback. Now, there's no guarantee that you're going to win a Super Bowl or even get to a Super Bowl with Russ. But I can guarantee you ain't getting there with Drew Locke. You're going to tell me that you're going to try to beat Patrick Mahomes Mahomes? and Justin Herbert and even Derek Carr with Drew Locke. Get the hell out of here with that. Kansas City has beaten Denver 13 straight times. Let me repeat that. Kansas City has beaten Denver, a divisional rival, 13 straight times. That's supposed to be a divisional rival, and they punk you every single time they play you. So hell yes, you had to do something. 
either get a quarterback or get the hell out the business. Denver did the former. Denver's got a quarterback, and now Denver has a chance. So what are they getting with Russ? Yes, Wilson was banged up last year. Yes, he actually did miss time for the first time in his career. Maybe you're a little concerned about that. But even in his worst year, he is still better than anybody that Denver has had in years. His worst is still better than Locke's best every damn day. Wilson did have a down year last year, but he still managed to throw for 26 touchdowns. No Broncos quarterback has thrown for more than 18 TDs since 18 retired. And yes, you're going to have to pay Wilson eventually, but let's be real. As I just said a moment ago, they get to pay Wilson. If you get a franchise quarterback, you should be hitting your knees every single night, happy about the fact that you have the chance to pay them. Would you rather get to pay Russell Wilson or have to pay Drew Locke? And then there's the Seattle side of things, right? Because it wasn't just that they moved Wilson yesterday. They then chased that by releasing Bobby Wagner as well. So two gold jackets Walk out that door on the same day. Good run. Had a good run, but it's over. Russ is gone. The Legion of Boom is officially now the Legion of Whom. Legion of Whom? Trading Wilson and releasing Wagner in a matter of hours is not just rebuilding. That's packing that joint with C4 and hitting the detonator. Give me my detonators. Unless they have something up their sleeve and or a way to get Deshaun Watson. That's a massive statement and a massive realization about where that franchise is right now. Like they finally woke up to the fact that the league had blown by them years ago and that they had to move Wilson because that bridge had been burned. The trust was gone for a while now. I mean, we can debate how or why that happened, whether it was about the offensive line or the offensive scheme or his relationship with Peter, which used to be so good, or all of the above. But none of it matters, really. It doesn't matter how it happened or why it happened, only that it did happen. The rest of that is just window dressing. The truth is, that relationship was dead. Even if the gum chewer said like five minutes ago they were not going to trade Russ. And then they did. But the fact is, Russ wanted out last year. And you know he still wanted out this year. And then once he was gone, once they no longer had that quarterback, they knew they were not going to contend. Unless, of course, they've got Deshaun Watson somehow up their sleeve. But probably not. So you may as well get rid of Wagner while you're at it. Now, did they get the best deal they could? This is a fair question. I think Denver did great. Denver, to me, did great. But how did Seattle do? How did Seattle do, and could they have done better? Apparently, they could have. According to reports, Washington offered them three firsts. But Seattle wanted to get Russ the hell out the NFC. They wanted to send him to the AFC. I don't know. Doing the math, I would argue that three firsts is better than two firsts. Seems to me. But then again, given what Seattle has done with their first-round picks, maybe it really doesn't matter. Maybe more is not better, given what they've done with their picks. And now that they've gotten two more first-round picks, exactly what are they going to do with them? And let's be real about this, too. 
in terms of those two first picks, those are just making up for the ones that they gave away when they got Jamal Adams. And how does that deal look right about now? So in a way, this trade is chasing that trade. This trade is trying to make up for that trade. So all you really did was make a trade to make up for an earlier horrible trade and you lose your Hall of Fame quarterback. So how is any of that good for Seattle? How does that make Seattle better? And how is any of that teardown good for a 71-year-old, fast-talking, gum murderer in Peter Carroll? Answer, it's not. So the hell is Seattle going to do about finding another quarterback? Are they going to take that run to Sean Watson? And would they really let Russ go without having another one in mind? They better because, once again, in this league, you either have one or you don't. Denver's got one now, and now Seattle doesn't. And for the first time in a long time, the Seahawks really, really do not matter at all. Hey, Seattle. Hey, Seattle. We got a deal. We don't have a deal. I'm going to see y'all You don't matter, and I'll see you all never again. Hey, Seattle. Hey, Seattle. Hey, Denver, time to cook. Hey, Denver, you got, got yourself a, a chef. Let's make some Go omelets, hugs. yo. Go hugs. I'm gonna see Coming to Denver. Good night. Leaving Seattle. Coming to cook, because after all, who's not hungry? Denver omelet, yo. You see what I did there? There's a lot, and there's a lot more where that came from, Denver. The Denver omelet. You know what you put in a Denver omelet? Me. Go Hawks. This is good. Go Broncos. Yeah, what's up, big head? I see you honking hard, yo. You keep that big head out my eyesight. Listen. The very best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a day. The same is true when it comes to your long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the finance super app. It's commission-free, and it makes growing your money easier so you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then... Automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments every time you buy into your portfolio. That keeps your investments close to where you want them. That way your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. There are no huddle-ups needed. Visit m1finance.com sports. That's M with the number one. Sign up and see why Money, Investopedia, and Yahoo Finance are proud super fans of M1. That's M, the number one, dot com slash sports. Investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Kevin Austin Jr. is my guest. Kevin, it's good to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing great, Kevin. Doing great. Nice to have you on. So let me ask you, you're coming off a really nice showing at the Combine, but if you were to take me back to prior to the Combine, you'd been training at Exos in Arizona. What was that process like, and what are the types of things that you're working on and trying to improve? Yeah, I would say 
running the 40 was a big thing. Um, I knew that I was fast, but, you know, learning the technique and understanding everything about it. And then I would say um, running routes as a receiver, being a complete receiver, watching film and understanding snap down and releases. You know what? When you look at the combine, there's so much weight put on that 40. And then you've got the three-cone drill and you've got the 20-yard shuttle. I'm curious, like, knowing what's riding on just a few seconds, how did you approach that? What's your mindset going into that? Do you try and look at that like, I've got a chance to show everybody something? Or do you try to just kind of shut out the pressure and ignore it? Yeah, I would say for me, I, would, I shut out the pressure and kind of ignore it. I mean, I know I'm a fast person growing up in South Florida, raising some against the you know, fastest guys. Um, in the country, you know, I know I'm pretty fast, so I just, you know, try to shut it out and ignore um, everything and try to focus on myself and running my race. Talking to Kevin Austin Jr., obviously, we know you're fast. We know you can run, but there's so much to the position beyond that. You know this. As part of your training, you've been working with other elite receivers. What has that done for your confidence in terms of knowing how you stack up with everybody else? Yeah, I would say just learning from certain guys and picking up things that other guys do and then them learning off me and us helping each other. I would say that just, that's the biggest thing and understanding, you know, these guys who went to big schools and played in big games. And so, you know, we can all learn from each other. Kevin Austin's joining me. Also, you played with Chase Claypool at Notre Dame. When he was at the Combine last year, he was hyping you and saying, quote, Kevin Austin is going to be a star. I've been saying it all along. He's a super good player, end of quote. So what did that mean to you to hear that? And then what did you learn from Chase over the years? Yeah, no, it was great hearing that about um, Chase say that about me. You know, I felt like he's known my potential and what I could be throughout the years of him being here and me being here at the same time. But, um, you know, I look up to Chase. He's like a big brother to me. I've learned a lot from Chase in terms of mentality and being physical. So I would say that those things, you know, learning from him in, in those aspects are a really big part of, you know, what how he's helped me throughout this. We're talking to Kevin Austin. He's getting ready for the NFL draft. I like what you said about mentality and approach. As an example, I've heard you say this too. As a receiver, your mentality is, quote, to dominate my opponent, the man standing in front of me. I feel like every play is a one-on-one. -on -one. I never try to lose a one-on-one. -on -one. What about that mentality? Can you kind of elaborate on that? And is that a mentality you've always had, or did you develop that recently? No, I would say that's a mentality I had growing up. You know, I've, I've been always competitive, no matter what sport I was playing, if it was track or playing basketball, soccer, football. And so I would say that mentality is just just over, like just been growing inside of me since I was a child. And, you know, it was just getting even um, more prominent towards the end of, you know, um, um, this season and things like that and trying to, you know, build that confidence among myself. So I always feel like I can't lose a one-on-one. Hey, Kevin, late in the season, or I should say last season was your best season, but it got better as the season wore on. In fact, almost half your receptions and half your yardage came in the last five games. Was there something that changed for you over the course of the year? Did you notice a difference in your game or maybe was the ball just coming to you more? No, I would say the ball just coming to me more and just understanding that, you know, I had a role in our offense. And so whenever I needed to, you know, step in in that role, I did that. And so just, you know, being consistent every single week and doing the things I needed to do every single week to, to prepare myself for the next opponent, I would just say that's the big thing. Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. 
reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? Kevin Austin Jr. is my guest. You know, it's one thing when you're healthy and you feel good and you're playing well, that's one thing. But having to overcome adversity is another. And it seems to me like everybody has it. You don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. You're going to get faced with some sort of adversity. In 2020, you broke a bone in your foot in fall camp. You worked your way all the way back only to break it again. What was it like to deal with that? And how did you fight through it? Yeah, no, it was hard. I would say for sure, um, you know, re-breaking it was the biggest the biggest um, thing. But understanding that I had, you know, amazing teammates and coaches around me that continue to stay confident in me and tell me that when I came back, you know, this was going to be, you know, I was going to have the receiver spot and I was going to be the guy. And so I always believed that as well. So hearing that from them always helped my confidence in my, in my uh, healing process throughout, um, you know, recovering after those injuries. Now, Kevin, you could return to Notre Dame for another season. And, in fact, the story goes that you received a return-to-school grade from the NFL Draft Advisory Committee. So what were the factors that let you know that you were ready to move to the next level? I would say, first, firstly, I graduated um, in three and a half years, which is, which is a goal to and to get my degree from Notre Dame. So that was huge. So once I graduated and I heard that I graduated this semester, I kind of focused on, you know, what I'm going to need to do and how I'm going to feel going to the next level. And I and I feel physically and mentally ready to, you know, move on to the next level and compete at the highest level. Hey, by the way, I want to give you credit for that. That, that actually is a huge thing, a huge thing that you graduated and did so early. What does that accomplishment mean to you and how much pride is there for you in that fact that you did as well as you did academically and you finished? Yeah, I would say it just goes to show my work ethic on and off the field. You know, it's the same every single time. And I feel like, you know, it was it was something that was important to me, which was to graduate. I, I didn't have a goal in how, how many years, but, you know, going to Notre Dame, we summer classes and do those things that allow us to get extra credits. And so um, it, it was it an was amazing, amazing accomplishment that I, I figured out that I was going to graduate early. Kevin Austin Jr. is joining us. He's getting ready for the NFL draft. Your teammate Kyle Hamilton is expected to go very early in the draft. You know how rare it is that safeties are selected that high in the first round. So what makes him unique as a player? Yeah, you know, I give accomplishments to Kyle every single chance I get because he's an amazing person and an amazing athlete. Um, you know, I would say his his him being so smart, um, you can see it on the film. He know he understands um when the defense is breaking down at a certain point where he needs to help, you know, bend it back straight. And so I would say being so smart and being so physically gifted, you know, he's six two, six three and he can, you know, run with everybody on the field. So I would say being so versatile on the field that teams can use him anywhere and him being so smart that teams can be able to use him anywhere. The NFL Draft is on April 28th. Kevin Austin Jr., Notre Dame wide receiver, getting ready for it. Hey, before I let you go, even though you're not going to return to the program, you got a glimpse of what new head coach Marcus Freeman will be like as part of the preparation for the bowl game. I'm not sure I've ever seen a team react the way it did to a new head coach or a head coach for the first time as Notre Dame did. What are your early thoughts on him as a head coach? I think he's a great coach. You know, I think he's a great person. You know, he preached this coming into – 
the meetings early on in, you know, his head coaching and during the end of the bowl season, you know, that he wanted to show the coaches being, you know, father and men, husbands, people that they can look up to, you know, us, us as players. And so him, you know, creating that atmosphere and also creating the competitive atmosphere that he's trying to bring the best athletes to Notre Dame as possible, as many of them as possible. So creating that atmosphere, I feel like he's going to do great things for the program. He always talked about enhancing the program and how he's going to make it better because we already built such a strong foundation. And so I felt like him coming in and us as players wanting him to be the head coach is just going to be even a more, um, you know, success towards Notre Dame program. I see it. Listen, before you go, one thought about your game I want to ask you about. You had some of your biggest success, and you did some real damage with the nine route. What is the key to success on that route, and then how good does it feel to hit a defense with a big shot like that? Yeah, no, it feels amazing. You know, that's the that's the literally, you know, the backstabbing of your defense was when you can take a shot on them and go deep and um, they have no answer for it. So I would say, you know, my mentality throughout that process and when the ball, um, you know, releasing at the line and then winning vertically and then basically when the ball's in the air, that is mine. So, you know, it's the only one person around me and that I'm going to go uh, win every single time, that one-on-one mentality that I'm going to win every single time. So I would say those um, things combined basically make for a while, you know, I can – I could be so competitive in the, in the nine route. He coming off a big year, too. 48 receptions, almost 900 yards, seven touchdowns. Ran that 4 4 3 40 at the Combine, and the NFL draft does get underway on April 28th. Kevin Austin Jr., my guest. Kevin, really good to have you on the show. Good luck with that. Let's do it again soon. I always say this to draft prospects. When you find out where you're going to live and work, I'd love to run you down once again. Okay, amazing. Sounds great. Thank you. You got it. Appreciate you, Kevin. Nice job. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Now, does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that allows you to catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Does that sound familiar? If so, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all the entertainment that you love, but without all that hassle. It's called DirecTV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. It also means no juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the very best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of all the clutter and all the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. The guy's having a crappy, crappy year. And he's got a crappy, crappy attitude. In years past, he's had a crappy attitude and it didn't matter because he could shut everybody up with his play. But this season is not going the way that Russell Westbrook thought that it would. Or anybody involved with the Lakers, for that matter. Because he was supposed to come to the Lakers and compete for the title that he's missing. He was supposed to be coming home. He was supposed to partner up with LeBron in AD for as explosive a big three as you're ever going to see. It was supposed to intimidate and back everybody down. At least that's probably how it looked and felt in his mind. But reality has been anything but that, right? The only good thing for him this year was coming home and spending more time with his family. His family. Family. But everything other than that has been a complete and utter disaster. He's been a train wreck on the floor. He's turned in one of the all-time ugliest seasons ever. And it's only getting worse. 
both on the court and off of it. Earlier this week, his wife Nina tweeted, quote, when I'm being harassed on a daily basis over basketball games and I'm having obscenities and death wishes for me and my family sent my way because you're expressing your truth, it's hard for me to get on board with that. And it's tweet. So let me just stop right there and say something about that. There is something seriously wrong with you if you're harassing the wife and kids of a basketball player. Even worse, if it involves death threats. I mean, if you're the type of person that does things like that, you've got a major problem on a soul level if you think that's okay in your book. I mean, where did your life go so badly that you're okay with doing that and you think there's nothing wrong with that? Where is your head if you think that's okay and that that's just part of life of an NBA player and that buying a ticket gives you license to do that or owning a phone gives you license to do that? Because it doesn't. It's not. And it shouldn't be like that. And I shouldn't have to say that. Westbrook talked about that after the loss to San Antonio, and then he got to this point. I don't even want to bring my kids to the game because – I don't want them to hear people calling their dad nicknames and out of their names for no reason because he's playing a game that he loves. All right, so that's where Russ and I part ways. I'm completely with him when it comes to death threats and any other sort of hate or vitriol or venom directed at his family, at his wife, at his kids. I mean, that, that is so out of line. However, there is a difference between death threats and nicknames. There's a difference between people directing obscenities at you and your family and people calling you Westbrick. And apparently being called Westbrick is one of the things that Westbrick really does not like. When it comes to basketball, I don't mind the criticism of missing and making shots, but the moment my name is getting shamed, um, it becomes a, a, a issue. All right, so I don't see this the way he sees that. He sees this as his, quote, name, and I guess his legacy being shamed. West Brick, to me, is now shaming my name. It's uh, my legacy for my kids. Um, It's a name that means more, not just to me, but to my wife, to my mom, my dad, uh, the ones that kind of paved the way for me. All right, respectfully, this is not that. I understand having pride in your family and your legacy, and your family name. You should. That's really important. But you should know that being called Westbrick, Westbrick, while it may hurt, is not shaming your name. It's a play on words. You know, just like ASIN Kid and CP3 to 6 Weeks. Nobody is besmirching your family name by calling you Westbrick. They're not trashing your parents or your children with that nickname any more than Paul George's family was getting clowned when he was called Pandemic P. It's a play on the fact that your name is Wes Brooke and you can't make a shot. It's a play on the fact that your name is Wes Brooke and you're clanking shots night in and night out. It's not even new. This goes back years. The only difference is that back in the day, you could shut people up who said it. And now you can't. It sucks to suck. And then get called out for sucking. But that's what this is. It sucks to get old and not be able to do what you used to do. But that's what this is. I understand it hurts. I understand this is not going the way you expected. 
He doesn't want to be out there sucking the way he is. He doesn't want to be out there lost on the floor, trapped in his own head the way he is. So, of course, the guy's going to be more sensitive now. The things that bother us are generally things that are true. And this is pretty true. And just so we're clear, this is a guy who's taken crazy crap from fans for his entire career. Like, remember that urologist in Philadelphia who gave him the double bird back in the day? The one who lost his mind and then later claimed that Russ told him to, quote, sit down, bleeping fat boy. Fat boy, how many you got, baby? See, back in the day, Russ could shut people like that up. Russ could tell that bleeping fat boy to sit down because he knew he was going to drop a 30-point triple-double on fat boy's head. But he can't do that anymore. Like, I know Russ is a different cat. I know he's always done things his own way. And I've actually always liked that about that guy. He could be himself, and whether you liked him or not, you had to take it because he was going to dominate on the floor. So I get wanting to say that hearing these things bothers you, but just know that saying that it bothers you is not going to make it any better. In fact, it's only going to make it worse. That's a stone-cold guarantee. Now, every time this guy goes out on the road from here on out, he's going to hear that nickname. And he's probably going to hear it at home, too. Because he just told everybody he doesn't like it. And now they're going to hit it even harder than they were before. You just told the world how to get to you and how to get under your skin. You just gave everybody a key so they can live in your head. You just gave everybody the cheat code. The only way to make it stop is to be that guy again. You know, the guy who pissed off urologists in AI jerseys because he was so damn good. However, he can't do that anymore. So I'm not sure I can remember seeing somebody's game fall off a cliff as dramatically as his has. Back in the day, you could not get in this guy's head. He was going to get in your head. Now it's turned. Now it's flipped. Now every fan is taking up permanent residence in his dome. So again, I want to be very clear about this. Going after this guy's family is wrong. Death threats are wrong. But what he's complaining about is not that. And highlighting it is only going to make the nightmare of a season even worse, not better. All right, so I understand what he's saying when he says my wife is getting death threats. My kids are getting harassed. Man, that's so out of line. That's so wrong. But your reaction to Westbrick? I mean, come on, man. That's nothing. That's nothing. You should have heard some of the gloss coming from other places back in the day. Nosemar Garcia pop-up. Cannot believe how sensitive you are to Westbrick. Westbrick. Man, you don't even want to know this show back in the day. Like the nicknames for Arancha Sanchez Vicario. American Chewy. Club said Sabalos. CP3 Olerud? I mean, Westbrook is tame. Westbrook, Westbrook, and your reaction to it would be like Rich Hill holding a presser to complain about his gloss, Poor Valley. Yeah, hey, is this thing on? Everybody ready? Yeah, th- that, that whole Poor Valley thing, it's a reason to go now. I'm not having it. Yeah, yeah, I got a blister on my finger and I can't go. That does not mean you have any right to call me Poor Valley. Westbrook. And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. 
When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you don't need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Lucas Williamson is my guest. Lucas, good to have you on. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. All right, so you beat Drake on Sunday. Let me start right there. You win the conference tourney, and you get the automatic bid that goes along with it. So how does it feel to be going back to the tournament for the second straight year and the third time in five years? I mean, it feels great. I mean, this is exactly, you know, what we set out to do. This is exactly where we wanted to be at this point in the season. Um, it also feels great to know that, you know, and we knew that, we were kind of like on the bubble in terms of like getting an at-large bid. So it feels nice to just, you know, win on Sunday, kind of relax this week. Don't have to stress about, you know, who's winning, who stole a bid. We, you know, we're, we know that we're in there. So we just kind of, you know, are all in good spirits. I week. like that. I like that a lot. I was going to ask you the question. You beat me to it. I was going to say going into the conference tourney, there was talk outside the program that maybe you guys did need a deep run in St. Louis to make sure you got in. I mean, is that the way it felt to you? And then how much did that motivate you for that tournament? Yeah, I mean, I think that we just had the mentality to, to, to win it all uh, from the jump. But, you know, we had the one game at a time approach. I mean, we knew that, you know, we needed to beat Bradley first. And then after we beat Bradley, we were like, all right, okay, who's our next opponent? Okay, it's Northern Iowa. All right, what can we do to beat Northern Iowa? Um, okay, we beat them. All right, we're playing in the championship game. This is where we wanted to be. All right, you know, who, who are we playing? It happens to be Drake. All right, what do we need to do to beat Drake? And then at that point, um, you know, we weren't necessarily, like, thinking from an outside perspective in, uh, like, oh, we need to win these games so – we can solidify our at-large bid. It was like, no, like we're trying to win a championship. Lucas Williamson is joining us. I appreciate that response. Listen, I know you're looking ahead and you're not looking back, but the fact is you were a part of that magical run to the Final Four back in 2018. If I could get you to look back for a moment, what do you remember most about that run? Oh, um, you know, just just like hanging out. Like, you don't you don't remember, like, specific plays like I rarely I don't even remember any of of the plays or I don't even know what I where I was what I was doing when Dante hit the shot or when Clay hit the shot like I don't remember where I was or what I was doing but I do remember bus rides I remember um you know the incredible feeling of, of returning home to Chicago I remember seeing uh, the Sears Tower with the the Ramblers colors um I remember seeing myself on a billboard uh, as we were driving on the expressway home, um, I just I remember things like that, and 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 that is is what excites me about about March. I love that Lucas Williamson is joining us. You know, when you think about it, you had that great run, and it says a lot about the program that you followed that up with a trip to the tournament last year and now this year. But for even more perspective, we're talking about a team that lost its head coach, lost its star player after last season. I think that everybody would have understood if this group took a step back and had a rebuilding year, but that's not what happened. As one of the leaders on that team, how would you describe the attitude and mindset in your locker room? Yeah, you know, I mean, everybody you know, loves to talk about how we lost Porter and we lost Crutch. Um, like we might be in a down year, but what people fail to realize or fail to mention is that we returned 95% of our team. Like, you know, me, 
Keith, Ahir, and Tate, we all decided to come back. Um, we had the like Braden stayed. Like you know, we've we've had a whole bunch of people that contributed to that Sweet 16 run last year. They're still on our team today. Keith is still here. Like um, so, I never I never fully understood that. Um, I mean, Drew. I mean, hiring in house to 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 continue. The, the culture that we have here. I mean, to, to continue to have a head coach that you've already built a relationship with for the past four years. Um, and Drew was is well-deserving, well-experienced, and well um, it was equipped for the task of head coaching. Um, we just knew that things were going to just be slightly different. But for us, in our minds, it was like I don't, I, we never thought about having a rebuilding year. We never thought about having a, a down year. It was like, Hey, like we were pretty good last year. We're returning ninety five percent of our team this year, so we're probably going to be pretty good again this year. Lucas Williamson is my guest. So, Luke, let me ask you. You mentioned Porter. I had him on the show a number of times over the years. I had your new head coach, Drew Valentine, on the show as well. And you mentioned culture. Culture is so huge everywhere, but especially for what you guys do at Loyola. So, how much has the culture changed from Moser to Valentine? I, I'd argue that the culture hasn't changed. Um, there's some, 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 some schematic things from a basketball standpoint that have changed, some, some schemes and some things that, that Drew likes to do. Um, but the culture itself, that hasn't changed. I mean, the, the dedicatedness to winning, the wanting to play for each other, um, the, you know, the work ethic, the, uh, the team camaraderie, uh, the the commitment to excellence on and off the floor, not, that hasn't changed. It, the standard is the standard here at Loyola, and, and I don't think, and I don't see that ever changing. And if it does, the standard just gets raised. You know, speaking of coaches, earlier this season, the team's Twitter feed posted a mic'd up video with assistant coach Patrick Wallace. And watching it, there's a whole lot of him saying, yes, sir, and scrumptious, generally bringing a ton of positivity and energy. I know you saw that. What do you think of that video, and what's he like to play for and work with? Yeah, I mean, all of our assistant coaches, they do a great job of bringing great energy and great vibes every single day. Patrick is definitely one of my favorite coaches of all time. Like, who says scrumptious at <laughs> a, a basketball practice? Like, how does that word even, like, like come to your mind when you're thinking about playing basketball? But, you know, Patrick is one of a kind. And, um, like, yeah, like I said, all of our assistant coaches, like, they come in, they have good energy. Um, and we feed off of that as players. And we can tell when, you know, some guys aren't – like, you can always tell when some guys aren't bringing good energy – um, and they do a really good job of never being energy vampires. It's so good. I'm so glad you said that about the word scrumptious because the first time I saw that, I thought that was amazing. For instance, like I'm a baseball dad. I've got a son in high school who pitches and plays baseball. And being that I am what I am or who I am, I should keep my mouth shut, right? But I'm not going to lie. Like I'm not over the top, but I'm not quiet either. So I'll mix in a yes, sir, if my son blows a kid away. But you know I'm going to be dropping scrumptious on people going forward. I mean, that is such an amazing description from a coach. Like scrumptious. What did you think the first right. time you heard him say that? Hey, I've heard Patrick say a whole bunch of things. So when I, when I heard him say scrumptious, it was like, 
that's just Patrick being Patrick, man. I mean, he's just he's just a funny guy. He's the best. <laughs> Lucas Williamson joining us. So listen, you you are so well thought of within that program and outside the program. I'm curious, when you were being recruited, what was it that let you know that Loyola was the place you wanted to be? What did you like about that opportunity? Yeah, I remember there's there's a quote somewhere out there. Uh, somebody asked me my freshman year when I committed, or before my freshman year when I committed, like, you know, why did you ultimately choose to go to Loyola? And I just, some of the guys in the locker room really sold me, Dante Ingram, Ben Richardson. I could tell that um, they really appreciate, they loved each other and they really liked being around each other. And then just Porter, his infectious energy, uh, B played, or uh, Coach Brian Mullins, um, he, who's the head coach at SIU now, but he played an instrumental role in recruiting me. Um, and I just liked their energy. And I could tell – and I, the, quote, the quote is, I could tell Loyola is on the verge of doing something special, and I want to be a part of that. Now, I didn't know we were going to make it to the Final Four the following year, but – um, I could just tell that, that good things were in Loyola's future. Listen, I think that there is a lot of depth to you on and off the field. You were the narrator and co-writer of a documentary on the 1963 Loyola team that won the national championship. What attracted you to that particular project, and what did it mean to you to take part? Yeah, I mean, that story is something that I, I take personally. Um, I, I, it means so, so much to, to me. Um, and so when I was approached with the narrating and co-writing job, it was like, I just didn't want to mess it up. Like this story just, it, it, it needs to be told in, in a certain type of light. Um, but like, yeah, like I, I, I've been blessed in that, you know, people seem to come to me with, with, with opportunities and I'm always down to trying new things. So, uh, when Patrick Creedon, the director that he was looking for a narrator and somebody to tell the story. He says that I actually have a lot to do and a lot in common with some of those 63 guys. And it would make sense for me to be able to, to it would make sense from a story, uh, storytelling perspective for me to be able to, to narrate and write the movie. So I'm just incredibly blessed that I got that opportunity. Right. And one of the guys that we, when you talk about you were compared to a lot of those guys, Jerry Harkness, who is now American on that team, is somebody that you've been compared to. Let me ask you this. Like, you made it very clear. The story and the team itself means a lot to you. For those who don't know, how would you sum up the legacy of the 63 Ramblers? Yeah. I mean, their legacy is forever enshrined, not only in Loyola history, but college basketball history. Not only did they changed the, the style of play. Um, they were beating teams 100 to, to 80, 100 to 60, 100 to 70. Um, they played, they, Coach Ireland developed a, a run-and-gun style, type style, similar to today's type ba- uh, basketball uh, that, that you see on TV, like in terms of transition offense. Um, but, so they changed the game of basketball, but also they had to deal with a whole bunch of things off the court because they were breaking something called the unwritten rule. And the unwritten rule was that you couldn't play or you couldn't start four black, black players at the same time. So not only are they changing the game of basketball, but they're also breaking an unwritten rule and breaking racial, co- or racial barriers, and they got a lot of flack for that. And so that movie is just basically about their journey and things that they had to go through on and off. 
So well said. Good for you. Listen, I know you're getting ready for the NCAA tournament, so because you are no stranger to that experience, leave us with this thought. What are the things that you're looking most forward to in March Madness? Yeah, I mean, this is my last go-around. So what am I looking forward to in March Madness? Just being a part of March Madness. Um, Just being, you know, incredibly appreciative of every single moment. Um, realizing that this is my last go-around, that everything that I do from this point on is a last um, last couple of practices, last couple of, uh, uh, of times putting on a practice jersey, last couple of times putting on a game jersey, last couple of times of being in the Loyola locker room, no matter how deep we go in the tournament. I don't care if we make it to the national championship. That's only, like, what, six games or like five or six games. So – just being incredibly appreciative of the process and of the journey that we've been on as a team and being more appreciative of the guys that are around me and, and the locker room that I'm a part of. Yes, sir. He's a guard for Loyola Chicago. They're headed back to the NCAA tournament. They won the MVC tourney. Loyola 25-7, 13-5. And, and Lucas, they got a word to describe a conversation like that. That word is scrumptious. Good job, dude. <laughs> I will even start you off with one. I have a beef today. That a-hole with the leaf blower that I keep running into on my way back to my neighborhood. I've seen this guy twice this week. This a-hole is in the middle of the street. Not only is this a-hole operating a leaf blower and standing right in the middle of the street, he's looking at me as I'm driving up like, yo, what's your problem? What's my problem, a-hole? Other than you operating a leaf blower and standing right in the middle of the street, I don't have a problem. I've seen this guy twice now in a row this week. I mean, he just literally is asking me to run him over. Bro, it's not my fault that that's what you do for a living. Man, I hate leaf blowers and people who operate them. I'm sorry I said it. It's the worst invention ever, man. It's so loud and does not do what it's designed to do. It just moves them around. And then you got a-holes in the middle of the street. Like, they know everybody hates them, so now they're just kind of pushing it. They're pushing buttons now. I got to stop. I I could do a whole segment on this guy. I hate this guy. Right in the middle of the damn street. I'm not even talking like a little bit off the curb. In the middle of the street looking at me like what? What's your problem, Rome? Like I just said, idiot. My problem is you operate a leaf blower and you're in the middle of the street. Just do your job and get the hell out of the way. All right, that said. Scott K is in. I got beef with people who use the term slept like a baby. Babies wake up every two hours, hungry, crying, and with a diaper full of crap. Anyone who uses that term has never had a baby. It's good. Hey, Rome, my beef is with the bags that crowd around the baggage claim conveyors at the airport blocking everybody out. Stand back three or four feet and step forward when your bag comes around. Bob in Arroyo Grande. A gaucho dad. Dude, you should be proud. If you have a child who's a gaucho, you should be very proud. I'm proud of you. Jim, I'm a grocery store cashier. My beef is with the arrogant, socially detached customer who goes through the entire checkout process, intentionally avoids eye contact or verbal communication. FYI, when I ask, do you have coupons? And did you find everything okay? I'm not trying to strike up a lifelong relationship. It's my job. If a simple smile and hello is too exasperating, 
ask your au pair to do your grocery shopping for you. I hope a cart smacks your Range Rover. Enjoy your quinoa. Brian in the D. I feel you. I get you. Hey, Jim, as somebody who works in the restaurant industry, my beef is with the self-proclaimed culinary expert who has to show off to his date or the rest of the table by annoyingly explaining every detail of the menu to them, such as what Savid means or what part of the pig or cow the meat comes from. Calm down, Gordon Ramsay. Just because you watch the Food Network or some cooking video on Instagram does not make you a Michelin star food critic. John and Erie, so far so good. I like them all. Jimmers, my beef is with ice. Ever go to the fridge and hit up the ice maker for your weekend cocktail? It spits out an avalanche of ice and it has it spill all over the tile. Then when you try to pick it up, it keeps squirting through your hands after chasing it around like a drunk toddler. You just give up and kick it under the fridge. Shep in the ATX. I like that too. Everybody is on it today. And then this guy. All right. Let's see what old Kenny has to say. Rome, my beef is with premature ejaculation that comes out of a ketchup bottle. We can build zero emission cars and a pen that writes in space, but we can't make a ketchup bottle that can keep that red ooze from soaking my burger and fries. I'm going to allow that. I didn't think that I would after the first line, but I will allow that. Jim, my beef is when someone starts blowing their nose mid-conversation. Since you can't wait until after we talk, I'll wait while you excuse yourself. I can't think of what we were talking about now anyhow. BZ in Pensacola. Dear Jim, actually dear Rome, I have beef with people who use the word minute to describe a very long time. That makes zero sense to me. What's next? Eternity will be slang for a very short period of time. Bring back the old days when minute was simply 60 seconds. Johnny and Green Bay. All right. That's where that's where the hit streak stops. Who cares, John? Come on. Hey, John. At the Bronx Buckeye. Hey, Jim. I got a beef with my girlfriend. Four times thus far this year. Not going to cut it. Hashtag War Lady Clones. Dude, I I bet she appreciates you counting, too. Do you have it up on a grease board? Romy. You know, like like the sales reps know where they stand. You have her up on the grease board four times. It's March 9th. Romy. My beef is kooks who wave at the Zamboni driver. It's bad enough the kids are enamored by the fat guy driving the ice resurfacer. But here we have grown men that wave and cheer as he goes by. Losers. Craig in Calgary. Hey, Jim. My beef is with these schools that get all stoked about making the NCAA tournament. Whoa, way to go. You squeaked into the same elite 68 team field as Colgate. Nothing says loser like crying because you made the top 68. Sign Casey in New Hampshire. Warned me dumping Gatorade on my head when I cracked the top 25 in the Ken Palm earlier rankings. 
It's not bad, Casey, for you. Considering I almost blocked you yesterday, that's not bad. Pretty good bounce back. It says Jimbo Slice. Our beef is with pot pies. Where's the pot? Signed, Reefer Nation. My beef, Rome, is with the Atlantic Sun Conference. I happen to see that Bellarmine beat Jacksonville to win the Atlantic Sun tourney last night. But Bellarmine was ineligible to go to the NCAA tournament. Why does your conference allow teams that are ineligible for the NCAA tournament to play in your conference tournament? Now, Jacksonville will not go to the NCAA tournament, and instead, Jacksonville State will. Makes no sense. Jason in Cleveland. Fair. Hi, Jim. My beef is with people posting their Wordle scores online. Listen up. Nobody cares. Absolutely nobody. I play too. Nobody cares. Nobody cares that I play Wordle. Nobody cares that you do too. Stop it. Literally, nobody gives a rat's ass. Sarah T. Hey, Jim. I have a beef with these damn kids flying around town on e-bikes. These little turds are flying around 30 miles per hour, staring at their phones, and zooming through stop signs. What happened to pedaling a bike? Are we raising a generation of sissies? Ryan in Newport Beach. Or buy your kids a damn pedal bike, you morons. Hey, Rome, I have a beef. It's with these damn peeps. The nasty marshmallow candy that shows up in the grocery stores this time every year. There's thousands of them, yet I've never met anybody who likes them. I bet Rit even refuses to eat them. Get that chalky ass thing out of here. Aaron in Iowa. Rit? Rit, quote, their ass. If it's sugar and Rit wants nothing to do with it, it's ass. Hey, Jim, my beef is with nobody calling in and acknowledging the loss of Mr. Bookman, a.k.a. Booger, from Good Times this week. Do you have to be a Malona or Thelma to get any respect around here? R.I.P. Booger. Jim and Temecula. Honestly, Jim, I would have. But I didn't even know Booger was sick. Thoughts and prayers. R.I.P. Hey, Jim, my beef is with Guy Fieri. I have never seen such an egregious display of nepotism in my life. Trying to shove that no-talent, no-personality son of his hunter down our throats. Get him off the TV and send that rat back to his burrow. Sincerely, LeBron James. War, Belly Clarkson, and Desmond Bain being the founding members of the T-Rex family. Dustin in Indy. This just in. Breaking news during the beef segment. Adam Schefter tweets. Colts are trading quarterback Carson Wentz to Washington for a package of picks that is thought to include two third-round picks. Sources tell ESPN. Wow, there you go. Let's go to the phones quickly to continue our beefs. Kathleen in Omaha. Kathleen, what is your beef? Aaron is too damn chicken to lead the land 
of cheese-eating, bear-chugging, dumble-the-elephant bird brains. Ah. Now you're done. No. Kathleen, you've been trying to say that like all week long, like that. and that came out like that. Not a very good call. Do better. Let's go to San Antonio, Ed. What's your beef, Ed? Jimmers. Wow, Kathleen. That was pretty lame. I don't think I heard her that fired up since her doctor told her that she had acute angina. But anyway. Ah. That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. <laughs> anyway, you're like, what, what's popping, Twitter? Hey, hey, nice try with that, Ed. I'll give you this, Ed. At least that came off the top of your head, right? You didn't know she was coming first. At least that was impromptu. I'll give you that. Come on, Ed. Let's go to Sacramento. Wow. I mean, come on, dude. Ed. Eddie. Edward. Eduardo. Ryan in Sacktown. Ryan, what's going on with your beef? What's up, JR? My beef is with male coworkers in the break room who eat bananas and stare at you right in the eyes. All right. <laughs> Callers are having a day, aren't they? Your beef is with people in the break room who eat bananas and look you in the eye. Male coworkers. This is getting worse by the call. None of that's acceptable. Did you run him? Ah. Thank you. That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Is there not one? Not Look, I know the calls are never as good as the social media participants, but is there not one good call? I, I have to end the segment, but I don't want to walk off without having at least one good call. Is there one good call? Let's try Roseville. Darren. Hey, Darren, what's your beef? Hey, Jim. I'll try and make it better for you. Please. Uh, my beef is with lottery ticket guy at the convenience store. This hopeless loser runs the clerk back and forth. Meanwhile, the line's out the door. All I want to do is buy a Red Bull and get on with my life. There you go. Was that so hard? In California, and we're in the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Whether you want to buy a home or refinance your current home, Rocket can. So I did make reference to the fact that life is starting to come back to normal. We went about two years where I never had anybody in studio. Then we had Dana White. Then I had Radio Row for Super Bowl. And I was knocking out nine interviews a day. And we're starting to bring guys in. So it feels good. It feels right. And we're doing it again today. I am joined right now in studio by a cornerback for the Green Bay Packers. He led the team in passes broken up last year of 14. He was fourth in the league in pass completion rate among DBs with 45 targets. He had 55 tackles last year. He had an interception. He was a two-time All-SEC-er, 29th pick in last year's draft out of Georgia. The Packers were 13-4 last season. I am joined in studio by Eric Stokes. Eric, it is really good to see you, man. What's up? How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm living the L.A. life. <laughs> okay, tell me about that. What What is the L.A. life? What's that represent to you? What's it like? Um, well, coming from the East Coast is, okay, first of all, I had to get used to the time change. Okay. Just from being three hours back the first day, I just completely slept all day because my whole body wasn't used to it. But then now, just getting into it, just walking around. I'm being like a tourist to where I'm seeing different spots, so it's crazy. The weather's <laughs> nice, right? 
It's a good life out here. It is a good life. It's a very, very, very good life out here. All right, so you should enjoy that. So we could start in a number of places, but why don't we start with the news yesterday that Aaron Rodgers is going to return to the Packers. Aaron made the point that, hey, you know, it, the deal is not what's been reported, and it's not all that, but I will be back next year. Where were you when you saw that news, and what's your reaction to it? Um, Actually, I was out getting food, so we was at a restaurant or whatever, and I wasn't even on my phone. And then next thing I know, I had people calling me. It was like, you see what happened? You see what's going on? I was like, no, what's going on? It was like uh, Aaron Rodgers coming back and all that stuff and all that. I was like, wait, hold on. Nah, I didn't even believe it because I'm like, I kept hearing both sides to it. Like, he was just so confused. And then and after that, when I saw it, I just got dumb happy. I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in the restaurant saying, yes, yes, yes. We're talking to Eric Stokes in studio. So was there a part of you, like, did were you concerned that maybe he would not return? Yes, hands down. Because, like, nobody knew. Like, I mean, like, nobody knew his decision, only him and his close circle. Dude, I think there's something to that. Like, really, nobody knew. Like, you guys did not know. <laughs> the team didn't know. Like, he played it that close to the vest. I mean, do you feel like really nobody except those in that immediate circle of trust knew? Hands down, hands down, because he's just a private man. That's just him. So, like, if he, go, if he wants something to be seen, he's going to let it be seen. But if not... Hey, that man is completely private. All right, so now you know. Now we all know. So what's it mean? Generally a pretty good thing when you get the back-to-back -back MVP back. What's that mean to the team and the future, knowing that you not only have him next year, but probably multiple years going forward? Oh, it just feels good to where, like, you know for a fact that you got a solid quarterback right there at, at play. And then especially he's a veteran. Like, he put year 18, so he knows he done seen it, any and everything. To where, like, you always love to have a guy like that. Eric Stokes is here in California. He joins us in studio. So one more thought about that. In doing so, the team also announced that it's going to put the franchise tag on Devontae Adams. What do you make of that news? Oh, I love it. Lo love it even more because that's one person that hands down, he's going to make sure that, first of all, he's not going to let you come in any day and slip up to where, like, throughout camp, he was on my tail. Like, the camp was one of the hardest times for me because just going against him at 12, it was completely hard. It was it was completely hard. <laughs> Dude, that, that's an amazing thing you just said because the fact of the matter is you had a really good college career, big-time college career, and then you're right. All of a sudden, you're going against not only two of the best in the game, but two of the best to ever do it. What was it like when you showed up in camp and you had to compete against and deal with both those guys? Um, You know, it was I, was I was very I was very excited. I was very ready for it. But I didn't know how good their connection was until that you start practicing it and until you start seeing, like, you would look like I could have sworn I was on top of this or I could have sworn I did this and it's just a perfect ball or like it's a perfect catch where I'm just like, there's nothing I can do about it. Like, man, you just come back and you just move on. Like, it just taught me how to grow up very fast where like, hey, everybody good here. We're talking to Eric Stokes. You know, when you mentioned Devontae, you kind of got into this, but is he the kind of guy that like, because of who he is and the way he works, everybody's got to be on their P's and Q's. Like, there's a certain standard and a certain expectation, and if you're not right, will he let you know? Oh, hands down. Like, he's not going to hold his breath. He's not going to do anything. Like, he's like he's a dog. Like, he's a definition of a true dog. To where, like, he's come in, there's nothing to play around with. Like, he's going to make sure that everybody is on their P's and Q's. To explain that, I love that. What In your mind, what is the true definition of a dog? Like, what's that represent to you? Uh, as a competitor, to where, like, I know for a fact that it doesn't matter – any given day that you finna come out here, you give everything that you got and that you got that little alpha dog. Like, you got that little servant to where, like, you ain't finna let nobody push you over either. Like, like yeah, he gonna talk his smack. He gonna do all the little stuff back to you and he's gonna let it be known that 
he's believed like he believed that he's the best guy, and I hands down believe that too. So. Green Bay Packers, Eric Stokes in studio. I get that. Like, for instance, would you make the argument that what you see from this guy in practice, and look, this is a time where there's never been more great wide receivers in the NFL. I mean, freaky, great athletic wide receivers who understand their craft. Could you argue that you never see anything, as much as you go up against really great players on a Sunday, that you never see anything better on Sunday than what you see on the daily in practice from him? Hands down. Hands down to like either from his releases, just from – his hands, period, or just his route running. Like, I never seen it all put into one to where, like, just completely, like, his knowledge of the game is completely crazy. All right, so having said all that, you've said a lot of good things about him. I want to say, I want to read you something he said about you. He said this last summer, quote, the closest thing to Jair here as far as mentality and ability from what I've seen so far, the kid is fast as hell. He can get beat and recover kind of like how Sam Shields would do, end of quote. I mean, dude, that's really high praise from Devontae. What do those two comparisons mean to you, Jair and Sam Shields? And then how does it feel to have earned that respect from your teammate that quickly? Oh, uh, it's it's very, very humbling. Like, it's crazy to where, like, he would say something like that because he doesn't know for, like, every single day I'm looking forward to going against him because I know for a fact if I can at least slow you down or guard you, everybody else in the league wouldn't be anything to me. So, like, just having that, like, that, like I know that's what he probably meant by, like, Jair so like Jair, that's exactly how he is. Well, he comes in every day. And he's looking for something to get better. Like he's looking for something. And then with Shield, of course, my speed. So like I'm not, I'm not worried. Like if I get beat or something, I know for a fact that I got my speed to catch up on. Even though I try not to get beat, but it happens. Hey, by the way, what's the, what's it like on the on the corner on the island? Because no matter what, you know you're going to get beat. It's not even a reflection. <laughs> you don't want to get beat too often, but yep. you know you're going to get beat. Everybody gets beat. How important is it to have that short memory and to be able to stay in the moment always? Oh, uh, it's very like I'm not going. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's very tough, like especially like me, like coming from college to where like my last year the ball barely was thrown to me, and then going on to the pro tour now. I was getting, like, I, I mean, the first couple of weeks when I first started, I was getting the most targets throughout anybody in the league. Of course, rookie, right? <laughs> Hands down to where, like, I got Jair on one side, and I know for a fact that they ain't throwing to that side. <laughs> like, I knew for a fact they ain't throwing to that side. Like, even my coach told me throughout camp and throughout, like, when I started starting, he was like, you know for a fact the ball's not going over there. They, they, they're going to try you because you're a rookie and you're opposite of Jair. So it was like, no matter what, they go try you. So I was getting all the ball thrown to me. All this, and then after that, it was just crazy to it. Like, just having an experience, having an experience going to get Devontae, it changed my whole perspective. Eric Stokes is joining me in studio. I think that's really fascinating. Like, because you were the guy, and you were the man for so long, nobody would throw your way. And then all of a sudden, when you get to the NFL, you realize everybody here was the guy, wherever they were from. I'm not saying that everybody went to Georgia or played at a high level. But then all of a sudden, they're coming at you, man. They're like, they want to find you on the field. What's that do to your mind? Like, do you take that personally, or do you think, you know what, good, bring it. It's opportunities for me. Oh, hands down, I take it as an opportunity. Like, man, well, that's good for me. That's just more time for me to shine, more time for me to get a little TV shine, a little <laughs> TV action, all that little stuff. So I was like, man, that's perfect. Let me go ahead and hold up my end and make sure, like, it's not the other way around. It's not that, okay, then y'all done found a weak link, and let me go ahead and uh, point it out. Like, nah, I'm, like, I'm going to let y'all think that I'm the weak link because I'm just a rookie, but, hey. 
Let's go ahead and flip it. Eric Stokes joining us. I want to ask you something. Like, he's a first-round draft pick. Like, where's your separation? Because when you look at this thing, if you were to step back, you've lived this life for so long, maybe you don't even see it this way, but you are the upper one one millionth of the world at what you do, right? I mean, you are an elite, world-class athlete. I'm curious, like, where do you think your separation comes from? Is it like God-given talent, your speed, your skills, or is it something else? Um, I say a little bit of both. Like, of course, like, to be an NFL, you got to have something freakish about you, like... To be in the field, like, there's something, like, you're just not no regular person going through. Dude, no matter how badly I want it or how hard I go, I ain't playing in the NFL. <laughs> so, like, there's, like, there's step number one to it. Like, with me, it's my speed. So, like, it's God, it's pretty much God-given to it. Like, I was just born with it. And you can't teach it. You can't coach it. You can't do anything. It was just something that I had got when I was uh, born. And then, secondly, it's just my hard work to it. Like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, I got this speed. I got this talent. But I got a lot of hard work behind it to where, like, I'm going to make sure that nobody else is outworking me. So, like, right now, it's hard for me to take this week off and just to relax and chill and not get any work done to where, like, yeah, I still, like, I know right now I'm, I'm still going for little runs in the morning just to go ahead and stay some type of in shape and just not get too far behind. But it's just that work ethic. Constant. So, like, what is that? Is that in your mind because you know somebody else is doing the work, or is it in your mind because this is just what you do? You normally work every single day. Oh, uh, both. It's a little bit of both. Like, I don't like having that, like, people, like, getting up on me. So when I see other people working out, other people doing this, I'll be like, nah, uh, let me go ahead and start doing this. Let me go ahead and start doing that. It's just, like, that little competitive nature in me. But then again, it's like a little daily routine to it. I done got into a routine, and I follow it, and now that I've switched it up kind of hard to adjust. Eric Stokes joining us. He's in California having a little bit of downtime. So how do you approach like the social media aspect? Are you doing the work and do you want people to know that you're doing the work or do you not want people knowing what you're doing and do you try and stay kind of stealth? Like I don't want them to know exactly what I'm doing and how I'm getting better. Um, I do I do both sometimes to where like I disappear and you won't see anything from me working out and all that stuff. But but then again, I reappear. Like I'm, I make an appearance once in a while so like you'll see and I'm doing a little something, all that stuff, and what I'm doing, just to, just to so post. they know you're doing something. Yeah, but you don't want them to know exactly what you're doing all the time. Yeah, facts. <laughs> all right, I get that. So the season ended obviously with that tough playoff loss. Like, what's it like when you you go through it? You pay the price. You do all the work. You know it's your year, and then it just gets ripped from you, man. It just ends suddenly. How painful is that? Like, were you able to process that and get beyond that quickly, or maybe does that still bother you? That loss to Frisco. Uh, it hand down still bothered me to uh, like. 100%, like, you can ask anybody on our roster, we did not see that coming. Like, we did not see that loss coming. Like, we was we, we was 100%, like, we finna win this game, like, all this stuff. And then the way how we lost and when we lost and all this stuff killed me. So, like, I was even, like, I just played, J, I played GTA literally for two, three days straight. No social media, no none of that. I'm just playing GTA just to clear my mind. And all that stuff, and then still, like, and still, literally, like, I couldn't even watch some of the playoff games because I was like, I know for a fact that we're supposed to be there, so it still hurt and all that stuff. But then now it's just more so of a, of a, of a revenge towards where, like, I just want to make sure that we just handle our business this year. You want to make sure it doesn't feel like that ever again. That's <laughs> hey, I mean, bottom line. This is it just football, and you tip your hat to the other guy because they were the better team that day, or were you not prepared the way that you need to prepare as a team? Like, what happened? Oh, I honestly don't know what happened. Like, like that's something that we still talk about to this day. Like, we honestly don't know what happened. 
or anything, but you can't look back on it. You just got to move forward and just continue to get better. We're talking to Eric Stokes. He's in the studio for a few more moments. What about your time at Georgia? What's it mean to you to be a part of that Bulldog family? And then how great was it to see them win that national title? Man, it was, okay, first of all, just to be a part of the family is crazy to where, like, a lot of a lot of people would love to come to UJ. Like, we have walk-ons that, like, had scholarships to multiple different big-name programs, and they still just end up coming to UGA just to be a walk-on, just to say they a dog. Like, I'm like, man, that's crazy. I would have took that scholarship. Like, that's my perspective of it. But then just seeing how many people come to UGA just, just to be a part of the family, all that stuff, it's crazy. And, like, just to seeing them win the national championship, it's even crazier to where I ain't seen, like, no, like, we thought Georgia was cursed. Like, growing up in Georgia, like, you think any Georgia team cursed. Atlanta Falcons, how they blew that lead to the Patriots. Um, the We were shocked when the Braves won and all that stuff. So it, it was just crazy seeing actual Georgia team win something big. You know, I was not going to ask you about this, but you mentioned the Falcons, so it just kind of obviously hits me in my mind. The Calvin Ridley story, dude, is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life. Like, can you say as a player what the protocol is? Do they not hammer into you from day one? Do not gamble. You cannot gamble on football. You absolutely, that's the one thing you cannot do. Like, what is the message they give you as players as it relates to gambling? Yeah, huh? they do give you messages and all this stuff. Like, we even have, like, people come in and talk to you about gambling and all this stuff like, and how you're not supposed to do it and all this stuff. So, it was just crazy just seeing Yeah, seeing but, you, but you know, they make it real clear to everybody, right? That that's yeah. not cool. You, you, That's one thing you cannot do. Hands down. Hands down. They make it very clear. All right, so last summer, you bought your grandmother a dream house. I'm really curious. Like, if you work as hard as you do and you make it and you finally get some money, man, what did that feel like to be able to do that? Hands down, one of the best feelings of my life. Like, it felt more, like, I actually felt that more than getting drafted. Like, actually getting that phone call. Like, giving my grandmother the keys. Like, I couldn't even do it. I couldn't even give my grandmother the keys. I had to tell the realtor. Like, it was this, too emotional for you? Yeah, you know, know what I'm saying? It was too emotional. It was too hard for me to tell my grandma that this is her career. So I had the realest to tell her. And that's how, like, crazy it was. So, like, it's a feeling that I never, ever forget. So what was her reaction? Oh, man, she absolutely loved it. Like, she broke down and all that stuff. Because, like, this was her absolutely her dream house to her. Like, she looked at multiple different houses and all that stuff. But she always kept coming back to that one. Good for you. Also, in the offseason, I know you adopted a Doberman puppy named Bolt. First of all, dude, who's with Bolt right now while you're out here? Oh, um, you have a dog sitter? I, my grandma. He's with my grandma okay. and my sister. So it's perfect. So what's he like? Um, He's nine months and a wild, wild puppy. Let's just say that. I took him to training uh, towards the end of all season. He came back. Yes, he's better. I will say that. But then again, he still got a lot of puppy in him. He's just a wild person. Like, this, like, this man barks. Like, him and my grandma argue every morning. <laughs> him and my grandma argue every uh, About morning. what? Going for a walk? About eating? About... He's ready to get out of... Because, like, we got, like, a section of our house, like, of her house, sorry, blocked off to where, like, it's just him. So he could just walk, roam that area. But nah, once he hear an alarm go off, he's ready to up. Oh, yeah, like, dude. He knows a, you're up. Yeah, 100%. He knows you're up. He, he's up and he's ready to go. I bet he's already <laughs> been up. Listen, really quick. Speaking of Georgia football, what was your reaction when you saw Jordan Davis drop that crazy, crazy time in the 40 at the combine? Did not shock me at all. Hands down. Like, being like being there throughout practice, like, yes, it shocked me that he was actually close to Devontae. That, that was the thing that shocked me. So, like, we thought Devontae was the fast one in the room, which he still is. But, like, just seeing him, like, right there with Vunty, hands down crazy to LA. You can actually roll to be that big. I mean, dude, I've never seen a guy that big move <laughs> like that. 
But that's not surprising to you, though, right? Oh, not surprising because, like, we see it throughout practice. We see it throughout team runs to when, like, when he actually run you know, or, like, a competition, this, this, this big man can actually move. Now, I've never seen a big man move like that before. It makes you wonder how much faster he or he can go, like, where this whole thing is going. All right, so what's it look like? You got a few more days in California, then what? Uh, a few more days, then I'm back in Georgia, and I'm back pretty much back to the grind, back to the work, back to my old schedule. All right, so actually, one last thought. What's it like to live and work in Green Bay? Like, that's, and I mean this in a good way, that's a different deal to be sure. What's that like for you? Um, I actually love it. To where, like, good. it's very quiet, it's very peaceful, like, and it's very small. So, like, I'm not dealing with no L.A. traffic. So, like, <laughs> dealing with traffic coming out here or back to Georgia, I'm like, man, I forgot how bad traffic is. But but being up in Green Bay is just so peaceful, so calm. Like, it's, it's freezing now. I never met cold. Like, I never seen cold or felt cold that burns. I didn't think it would be that Dude, cold. that is so true. Like, I, I went to the <laughs> AFC Championship game in Kansas City, and I've been in cold weather. Like, I had a house in Montana. We have a house in Wisconsin. It's a different kind of cold, though, isn't it? Hands down. I try to tell everybody that all the time. Like, it's a different type of cold. Like, yes, down here, it's chilly, it's cold. But I say once you get up there, it's a cold to where you don't want to come outside. Like, you don't want to do anything, period. So it's just a whole different. So what's it like flying around the field when I understand that you've got heated benches and you have blankets and jackets and all that, but still it's cold, dude. So if you don't want to go outside, what's it? And I have a kid, a son who goes to Wisconsin. He says the same thing. Like, we don't want to go to class. We don't want to go to the gym. It's just too cold. So what's it like flying around, putting licks on people when it's that cold? You know what? Make it crazy. I tell everybody this. I said game day is 10 times better than the actual week that people don't understand. So, like, and like for the Packers, we practice outside because we play outside. So, during that week, it could be possibly even colder than actual game day. So, playing out there, practicing in the um, cold, it's hard because we don't got, like, I know throughout practice, we only got little heaters. Like, you don't got heated benches throughout practice. You don't got the jackets throughout practice. You don't got any of that. The adrenaline. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? The adrenaline, all that stuff is out of the window. So you just naturally out there just standing out there practicing in cold. Now, that's the hardest part. So, like, once so once game time come, you got adrenaline, you got heated like you got heated benches, you got all this stuff. So it's actually it's much feel, better on Sunday, right? It's much better on Sunday than, than, than it is during the week. Good night now!